What, uh, me to you? All right, all right, I apologize. Really sorry. I'm really, really sorry. I apologize unreservedly. You take it back. I do. I offer a complete and utter retraction. The imputation was totally without basis in fact and was in no way fair comment and was motivated purely by malice. And I deeply regret any distress that my comments may have caused you or your family. Okay. I'm sorry. I just hope I haven't let you, let you down. Well, when I said I just hope I haven't let you down, that said it all. I had. As you know, in a deposition in January, I was asked questions about my relationship with Monica Lewinsky. While my answers were legally accurate, I did not volunteer information. Indeed, I did have a relationship with Ms. Lewinsky that was not appropriate. In fact, it was wrong. I know I have bitterly disappointed all of you. I hurt her. I hurt you all. I hurt my wife. I hurt my boys. I hurt friends like Tom Davis. I hurt a lot of different folks. Please let me apologize to my family, friends, and staff. I think you've known life uh, pretty much what's a good thing to do and what's a, b a bad thing. And um, I did a bad thing, and there you have it. I'm terribly sorry that I put the staff in uh, that position. I did take a banned substance, and, uh, you know, for that, uh, I'm very sorry. Uh, of course, as the gentleman immediately uh, contacted the White House, apologized, it was accepted uh, numerous times, which I appreciate. I know I have let you down, but I have also let myself down. I could have said any number of things. Wouldn't have got enough publicity, though. <laughs> well, that's it, guys. I'm sorry. All of us have had to say it, haven't we? It's one of those things that we struggle with. You know, last week when we talked about uh, forgiveness and forgiving other people, I asked a question. In fact, some of y'all may remember this question. I asked, how many of y'all, you've been hurt by some people? Let me see your hands. All right? We've all been hurt by people. But if I were to ask a reverse of that question, how many of you have hurt somebody else? Let me see your hands. See, not as many people put them up. But if you think about it, if you do the math, if all of us have been hurt, but most of us don't do the hurting, that doesn't quite work out because I think all of us, we do have a tendency to hurt people. But I think many of us, we like playing the victim and we like thinking, you know what, yeah, I'm the one in the wrong. But what happens when we are the one that's in the wrong? What, what do we do? How can we make things right? How can we make relationships right? That's what we're going to be looking at today. You know, this entire series, Getting Past Your Past. Man, I loved Joshua Staples' story. I mean, how many of y'all, that just touched me the first time I heard it. You know, some deep, dark stuff in his past, but God let him get over that past so that he can be able to do some amazing things right now in his present and his future. Some of you, right now, God is, I mean, God is wanting to do some amazing things in you. And he's wanting to use some of your deepest, darkest times in your life if you let him. But in order for God to be able to use those, even the dark times in your life, you've got to get over some stuff. That's what this entire series is about. Because all of us have a past. 
our big idea today. We're primarily going to be in one book of the Bible, the book of Matthew, and I'm, I'm doing it a little bit differently today. We're going to be uh, looking at all the verses, but I want to show you where the principle comes out of, and then we're going to be looking at the verses where we get it out. Our principle today, our big idea, we teach one-point messages here, all right, because we don't want anybody to miss the point. Here's the one point here. Our big idea is we can get past our past by being people who learn to apologize and ask forgiveness. We can get past our past by becoming people who learn to apologize and ask for forgiveness. That's what we're looking at. Let's get to the Bible about this. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is kind of the middle, the beginning, the middle of Jesus' most popular teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. You know why it's called the Sermon on the Mount? Because he was on a mountain when he delivered the sermon. Thanks for coming to One Church, right? I got a great grasp on the obvious. And the mountain, is, it was kind of really wasn't a mountain. It was more like a hillside. Sermon on the hillside doesn't roll as easily off the tongue. But he's in a relational passage on the Sermon on the Mount. Because here's what Jesus is saying. He says, you know what? You've heard it said you shouldn't kill people. And everybody's going, yeah, that's bad. He says, but I tell you, you shouldn't be angry enough to get to that point to kill. He says, you've heard it said you shouldn't commit adultery. And everybody's shaking their heads. Yep, that's what we've heard. But I tell you, you shouldn't even lust. He's in this very relational passage. And in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, he says this. Verse 23. Therefore... If you are offering your gift at the altar, in other words, if you're at the temple or in our context, if you're going to church and while you're at church, you're offering a gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. In other words, you've hurt a friend's feelings. You've let somebody down. You've disappointed someone. You've lied to someone. And you're worshiping God. You're singing songs. And you got your eyes closed. And you're raising your hands, right? That's what we do. Everybody do that with me. Can you do that with me? Is that right? I'm just saying. We're worshiping God. And in that moment, you remember that somebody has something against you. What are you supposed to do? He tells us, verse 24, leave. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. What's the next word? Okay, this is all skate morning. What's the next word? First. First, go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your gift. Amazing. This is crazy amazing. You know Jesus is not a typical pastor because most pastors say, if you're getting ready to put money in the offering plate and you remember somebody has something against you, put the money in first and then go. Right? That's what most of us would say. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, you know what? There is something that should take priority over worshiping God. Really? What is it? First, go and be reconciled to that person. I love it. And the word go implies an intense action. In other words, it may mean you have to travel or work hard to do it or overcome some obstacles. Again, let's put it in our context. If you're at church and you're worshiping, if you're at church and you're listening to a sermon, if you're, um, if you're spending some time reading your Bible and praying, if you're at night and you're praying and you remember somebody has something against you, stop. Stop what you're doing and go. That really is the entire context of what we're talking about today. That this idea 
this idea, whatever you're doing, however spiritual doing it, the most spiritual thing that you can do is it praying, is it reading your Bible, is it giving an offering? All that stuff is great, but if you remember somebody has something against you, the most spiritual thing you can do is stop being spiritual and go and get this right because that's even more spiritual. I mean, what is that all about first? I mean, I can't think of another time in the Bible where it says that there is something that takes a higher priority than worshiping God, but here it does. He's saying this, that many of us, we've bought into this lie that our relationship with God is just between me and God, and it's personal, and it's, it includes nobody else. And let me tell you, that's a lie. That is a lie. Because it does include other people. The most spiritual thing isn't you can sing songs, it's to get this right. Let me show you uh, a graphic we have up here. This is the intersection of the horizontal and the vertical. The, the vertical is God and us. When we think of a relationship with God, we think this way, right? We're here, God's up there, even though he's all around. Hang out with me. He's up there, I'm down here, and we think, okay, I can have a relationship with God and everything's good. And yeah, I guess that's great, but here's the problem. Look at this next one. There's also this component between us and people. And you can't have a good relationship with your heavenly father if you can't get along this way. Some of you, I mean, I, again, I've grown up in, in churches where like, you know, the guy can like exegete the Greek and the Hebrew and know, uh, he can know all the different words, Greek word for love, agape, phileo, eros. Some of you saying, what are you saying? Just hang out with me for a sec. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And, and they can know all of those definitions of love. But, you know, when their wife comes in, hey, do you mind helping me empty the dishwasher? No, I'm busy studying my Greek. Right? I mean, you think you're spiritual, but if you treat your spouse in, in not a good way, let me tell you, things are not okay between you and God. They're not. Let me tell you, y'all have heard me say this. Our mission is to lead people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what, let me define what a growing relationship is. Because a lot of people say, well, growing relationship means you know all 66 books of the Bible, right? I mean, you can quote them, you can turn to them quick, all of this stuff. Let me tell you how we define a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Sit down, it's crazy. We define it by relationships. All right, this is what we call the three vital relationships. All right, this is what it is. Intimacy with God. I mean, you expect me to say that, all right? Intimacy with God. Community with insiders, that's getting along with people inside the church. And influence with outsiders, people who are not yet in this building. You see, that's how we define what a spiritual relationship looks like. Getting along with God, getting along with other people inside the church, and getting along with other people outside the church. Here's the thing. For some of you, you, this may be your first time in church. If, if it is, welcome. For others of you, you may have been in church, but you kind of bounced out because, probably because of one of these three things. Um, they, they probably were like, yeah, okay, you can have a great relationship with God, but they didn't get along with one another. You had people yelling and gossiping and all of this stuff. And you're like, man, they say they love one another and they love God, but they can't get along with each other. That's a problem. There's other churches and other denominations, and again, I've been in these as well, that, you know, they get along with people inside the church, they get along with God, but they have this kind of fortress mentality of kind of them versus the world, them versus everybody else. And Jesus clearly states that he came to seek and to save that which was lost, that he wants everyone to come to know him. 
So we have to have all three of these components, three vital relationships. Now, the reason why I say that is this. That many of us, when we have a problem, we think we're okay this way, me and God, but I'm not okay with you. And God says that's not okay. God says, you cannot come up buddying up to me and, and, and things not be okay. It's like this. Um, other day, uh, I got three boys. So y'all pray for my wife. Um, I, and I love wrestling with them, all right? And uh, this was about, about a week ago. Uh, my middle child, uh, he did something to the younger child, and my middle child loves snuggling. So he did something to the younger child. The younger child is crying, and the middle child comes up to me and wants to snuggle with me. And I'm like, time out. I love you, and I want to snuggle with you too, but before that happens, you've got to go make it right with, my, with Bing, your younger brother. And I think maybe that's many times what our Heavenly Father does to you and me. We want to snuggle up with God and we want to sing Kumbaya and hold his hand, right? But we're cussing out the deacon's wife. Just saying. There, there, there's a dead monkey on the line somewhere. Something is not right. God's saying, before you start cuddling up with me, you go and you make it right with that other person. Now, here's the thing. When we know that somebody has a problem with us, we, there's three different options we can do. The first one is this. We can pretend like nothing's wrong and, and pretend like it's not there. And that's kind of the ostrich mentality. It's where we stick our head in the sand, right? Does that ever fix anything? No. The second option is, we have, well, you know what? If they have a problem, they should come to me, right? If they have a problem with me, they should come to me. And again, waiting on them you may be waiting for a, you know, a cold day in Gehenna. I'm just saying. Um, or the third, we can think, you know what? I may have wronged them, but they wronged me first, right? And again, I, I've seen children do that. My kids, you know, okay, why are you crying? He hit me. Well, I hit him because he hit me first. Really? Is, are we in middle school, right? I mean, that's what, middle schoolers are okay to act like middle schoolers. When you're 30 years old, stop acting like a middle schooler. Crazy, I know, all right? But here's the thing. We can get past our past but by learning to be people who apologizes and ask forgiveness. That's huge because so many times, here's the thing about this, it's huge. Our relationship with God, we think it's just personal and private, but you know what? It's not because our relationship with people affects our relationship with God. That's what that verse says. Now, look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. I had totally wrote this sermon, and I realized I've got to go to these verses. These are huge verses. It says this. If another believer sins against you, go and gossip to everybody you know. Is that what it says? No. Um, It says go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. Let me tell you what that verse doesn't say. It doesn't say, go and post it on Facebook. It doesn't say, tweet about it. Um, my cousin, Ron Edmondson, he used to pastor a church, a great church in this town. Uh, uh, he, he, a, he has a blog. And I read this from his blog, and I want to tell you where I stole it from because this is totally Ron. He says this, thanks to cultural improvements, technological advancements, handling conflict has become so much easier these days. You know what I mean. No longer do we have to confront a problem in person. We can just send them a nasty text or email. We can easily unfriend someone. We can quit following them on Twitter. If the conflict gets really bad, we can even block that person. 
Technology has allows conflict to be addressed in cyberspace. It's super easy. It even seems fun sometimes to take cheap shots when the, when the person is in the virtual world. It's not the best way, though. It seldom solves the problem. And Ron says it often escalates into things, many times getting bigger. But hey, at least it's a lot easier on the front end. Let me tell you, it doesn't fix anything. It says, go to them privately. That's what it says. It doesn't say text them. It doesn't say email them. It doesn't say go on Facebook. It says get face-to-face. Not Facebook, face-to-face. Now, that's huge. Because let me tell you, I'll give you an example. My wife and I were hanging out in Nashville on Friday, and I get a text from someone, and they said they were going to do something, and I responded back with one word, thanks. All right? I'm having a date day with my wife on Friday, and, uh, and, my, and my wife said, what did you say? And I said, thanks. And she says, one word answers may, you know, may make people think that you're angry at them. I'm like, okay. So I, I went back, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> anyway, but, but she had a good point. Because hear me, you don't know my body language. You don't know my tone when I text something, do you? One word answers can mean, yeah, somebody's mad. They don't always have to be. So when you can, I'm telling you, don't just blast stuff out in cyberspace. Get face-to-face. If you can't do that, at least get on the phone. If you can't do that, I don't know. I I mean, I guess do the whole Facebook, whatever thing, but don't put your junk out there where everybody can see it. That's huge. That's huge, all right? What if that doesn't work, though? Matthew 18, 16 says this. But... If you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. What he's saying is this. You get some people involved and go to them. You don't gossip about them, but you go face-to-face and you have conversations. I know, crazy, right? If, If the person still refuses to listen... You take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Now, you treat them as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector? What does that mean? Well, think about this. How should the church respond to pagans and corrupt tax collectors? Now, not how they normally respond. How should we respond? Love. Acceptance. We get down and dirty with them. We get involved in their life. We get messy with them. It doesn't mean we don't stand for truth. Of course we stand for truth. But we love them and we accept them. We put our arms around them. We go after them. We welcome them. We work on getting their life straight. Notice the goal of this entire conversation, Jesus saying here, is this. It's reconciliation and restoration. That's it. Our relationship with people affects our relationship with God. we got to get good at apologizing. And some of us, i got to be honest, we just stink at it. I am sorry if you took that the wrong way. Is that an apology? No! I'm sorry that you wear your feelings on your sleeve. Is that an apology? No, that's an insult. You need to apologize for apologizing. Right? Seriously. So what we're going to do in just a sec is we're going to look at very practical, how do you apologize? Because I think all of us, including me, we, we're stinking. We're kind of like Michael at the office. Any of y'all ever watch the office? All right, here's the thing. I'm, we're going to watch this clip. It's a hoot. Guess My, what? I have flaws. All right. What are they? 
Oh, I don't know. I sing in the shower. Sometimes I spend too much time volunteering. Occasionally I'll hit somebody with my car. So sue me. Oh, I hate hospitals. In my mind, they are associated with sickness. Oh. She looks like an angel. She looks awful. No, okay, she always looks like that. It was not my fault. I think she's awake. No, she's in a coma. <laughs> no. Okay. Meredith. Mm. I brought all your friends from the office, dear. At the same time. Yeah. Hello, Meredith. This is weird. Brought you some balloons. Why don't we... Here you go. Tie these up. Cheer up your tubes. Oh, shh. Oh, for God's um, sake. Whoa. Nurse? No, don't bother the nurse. Just put it back in. Uh, I'm going to be sick. I'm going to puke. I'm yeah. going to puke. Don't touch it. What, what are you doing? Just give me that. Does it hurt terribly? No, it's not too bad. They have me on a lot of painkillers. Oh, really? What kind? Codeine? Vicodin? Percocet? Fentanyl? Oxycontin? Paladone? I what? have no idea. <laughs> well, it was really great of all of you to come and visit me at the same time. I'll see you guys at the office. Oh, all right. Okay. Wait up, wait up. Guys, 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 hold on a sec. You know what I was thinking might be sort of fun? is if you forgave me in front of everybody. Michael, I'm not going to do that. Because you know what they say in the Bible about forgiveness? Forgiveness is next to godliness. Well, that's not the well, just, just, just You cracked my pelvis. Look, I just, I don't understand what is preventing you from laughing this off and giving me a big hug. You are not forgiven. Come on. Michael! 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 Michael. <laughs> oh my gosh. Let me see. Michael hit Meredith with his car. And uh, he is, I mean, he's trying to apologize. He's trying to ask forgiveness. And you know what? There could come a time when, you know what? <laughs> There's this thing where you can apologize and they may not forgive you. I mean, and, and, you, and not everything's going to be okay. There's a great verse. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Says as Paul writes, if it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at what? Peace with everyone. The importance of apologizing to the other person isn't the other person's response to it. They may not forgive. And that's where your responsibility ends. But I gotta be honest with you, Michael was struggling. All right? I mean, why don't you, you know, in front of everybody, you forgive me? That's not how you do that. So let's look at the how. How do you forgive? A, 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 if you want to forgive with integrity, it has to have three different things. Ready? I'm going to say it, and you, you say it after me. Ready? Here it is. The first one is, I am sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. And yes, I do forgive you. All right, let's go to the first one. I am sorry. All right. I am sorry. That's huge. I am sorry. And we got to be specific. I am sorry. And it's, 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 it's kind of difficult to do. How many of y'all remember happy days? Anybody remember happy days? Some of you are like, how old are you, Chris? That's none of your business. 
All right. I remember happy days because you got the fines. The fines, here's the thing about the fines. The fines, he had a hard time saying, I'm sorry. He was like, I'm, I'm, anybody remember that? Besides me? All right, cool. He could not say it. And let me tell you, the biggest enemy for us apologizing and saying, I'm sorry, is our pride. That's it. To do, to say the words, I am sorry, it means we have to swallow a whole lot of pride. You show me any relationship with any significant tension, and I bet there's a person in that relationship who's filled with pride, who does not want to respect the other person, who will not respect the other person. It's, it's all about pride. Pride, I think, is one of the most grotesque and the, most, the biggest sin out there because uh, the Bible teaches us is it was the very first sin ever committed. That's very, very interesting that all of these sins that we do really has at its focus the idea of pride, that I want to be my own boss. That's huge. Now, we're to say I'm sorry, and I think one of the biggest things that can help save marriages, help save friendships, help save family relationships from falling apart is just by saying I am sorry. And some of us, we're like, well, I'm not going to go first. You go first. Again, are we in middle school? Really? I mean, go first and say, I am sorry. And when you say it, be specific. Be specific. Get specific because there's something very healing when you say, here's what I did, and you name it. I'm really sorry I yelled at you. I'm really sorry I lied and I shouldn't have done it. I'm sorry that I spent that money and didn't tell you. I'm sorry I did not call you. I should have called. You get very specific in an apology. Apologize specifically both actions and attitudes and watch as God heals that relationship. So you apologize. I am sorry and you get specific. Now the second one is I am wrong. I am wrong. I was wrong, and you do no excuses. Now, this is super important because many of us, when we say, I am sorry, we usually follow I am sorry with two words, if or but, right? This is usually what we say. Let's start with the word if. I'm sorry if you were hurt by what I said. Is that an apology? I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings. I'm sorry if I offended you. I'm sorry if I was too hard on you. What that's saying is, is you're a wuss. I'm sorry if I was too hard on you, right? I'm sorry if, or what about this one? I'm sorry, but. I'm sorry, uh, uh, I'm sorry I said what I said, but I had a long day. I'm sorry I reacted that way, but I was stressed out. I'm sorry I lost my temper, but you just made me so mad. All of those are awful ways of apologizing. And that's how many of us, we try to make things right, but we keep on digging the hole. I think it was Will Rogers who said, when you find yourself in a hole, the first thing you can stop doing is you stop digging. And that's what many of us need to do in our relationships. We need to stop digging and trying to be right. Trying to prove a point. I'm sorry I was wrong. That's interesting. In fact, a recent survey of teenagers said this. The number one complaint with their parents was not that their parents were too strict, not that their parents come down too hard on me. It was this. My mom and dad never admit when they're wrong. 
The truth is, anytime there's any relational friction, there's bound to be some way that we were wrong. And it's like this. Back to Romans 12, 18. This is verse 16 and 18. Live in peace with each other. Do not be, what's the next word? You see, that's it. If you want to know the enemy of every relationship, it's pride. Do not be proud, but make friends with those who seem unimportant. Wow. Do not think how smart you are. <laughs> Do your best to live at peace with everyone. There's a great book that used to be in my library by Ken Sandy, and it's called The Peacemaker. I really wanted to read some quotes out of you, but somebody borrowed that and didn't give it back. I'm not bitter. But I would encourage you, if you struggle with forgiveness, Ken Sandy, S-A-N-D-E, and this is kind of from my memory of the book that I read. Here's what he says. In a relationship, even if the other person is 98% wrong and you are 2% wrong, you take 100% responsibility for your 2%. I mean, the other person may have done this and this and this and this. And okay, that's okay. Don't apologize for the 98% that they did. That's on them. You take 100% responsibility, ownership of your 2%. Because in most situations, it's almost never. I'm, I'm not going to say always, but it's almost never just one person is always right and one person is always wrong. All right? That's huge. The truth is, whenever things go wrong between two people... Usually, one of them, pride sets in, and, and, and you, you just got to take 100% responsibility for your 2%. Now, let me just say the thing right here. If you ever get in a, a, spat, a spat with your wife, don't ever bring up percentages. I know this. <laughs> All right. Okay, babe, I understand that you are 98% wrong. Don't ever say that. Because when you do that, you will be 100% sleeping on the couch. Just saying. All right, let's move on. All right. Pride says, no, 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 no. It's not me. It's you. It's you. It's you. It's not me. We all take ownership. We have to take ownership for our part in the relationship. Humility. Humility, on the other hand, says, you know what? I do own a part of this. I actually have been wrong, and I'm going to be faithful before God, and I'm going to humble myself. Here's what happens when you humble yourself. You elevate the relationship above yourself. And even if you feel like you're right, what you do is you say, I love this person more than I love being right. That's what humility does. So a good apology goes, I am sorry. We were specific. I was wrong. Make no excuses. And the last part, will you forgive me? And what we need to do is we need to change our behavior. Will you forgive me? I mean, it's not a complete good apology until you say the words, will you forgive me? And if you might expect this, the third part of this apology is even harder than the first two combined. I mean, hearing somebody say, will you forgive me? It's so rare. It's about as rare as finding a redneck in an art gallery. I'm just saying. It's difficult. I'm sorry for saying that. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? All right. I won't say it again. All right. I was sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? It's powerful. It's rare. But will you put those three things together? And you mean it. You don't give excuses. You get specific. And you change your actions and your attitudes. Something that can happen to that broken relationship. It can become mended. Because with God, all things are possible. So we're going to try this. Let's say this together. 
I was sorry. I am wrong. Please forgive me. Turn to somebody you know, sit next to you and say the same thing. All right, good. Now go to the other person. Tell them. All righty. I feel some, I feel like we need to start hugging in here. We're going to hold off on that. Let me just say this, guys, ladies. We just said it to one another. Who do you really need to say that to? Who do you really need to say those words to? There may be somebody sitting right next to you. There may be somebody that states away. They may be somebody that you can't because they've passed away. Who do you need to make that relationship right with? I would encourage you, do it. There's something to be said. And when we take ownership of our part and we move past this. Now, here's what I want to do. Before I answer questions, I want to give you something. Because some of you, you need a push. Because here's what some of you are going to do. You're going to listen to this message, and some of you should have walked out of this message minutes ago. Not because you're angry with me, so that you can go and make something right. Some of you, this is your mindset. I will apologize when I get around to it. So here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to give everybody a round to it. Anybody ever seen these? I just saw them this week. They're cute. All right. Here is a round to it. T-U-I-T. Here's what I'm asking you guys to do. When you leave here today, right outside on these table, you have tons of these round to it's. And here's what I'm asking you. I'm going to give you a round to it so that you can start making things right today. I'm asking you to flip it over. And we have some Sharpies out there. And you can just write that person's name that you need to make things right with. And then I want you to stick this in your pocket. And I do not want you to remove it from your pocket until you make things right. Now, hear me on this one. There are some things you're not going to, I mean, you take ownership for your part. If they don't forgive you, that's on them. All right? So let's don't, you know, you can't take 100% responsibility of the relationship. You just take ownership for your part. All right? Let's answer some questions and we'll be done. I spent time speaking to someone the other day and her hang up. Is that, uh, is that she was molested as a child. She can't justify loving a heavenly father who could have prevented this from happening to a child, but instead allowed it to continue. How do I help her rationalize this, this, this situation? You know the thing I would encourage them to do? If you know that person's name and number, maybe have them talk to Josh. You know, I think, I don't think our heavenly father causes things like this to happen. But here's the thing. The reason why it happens isn't because God is bad. God is good. The reason why it happens is because people are bad. You see, you and I have a choice. And when we, many times when hurt people, they have a tendency to hurt other people. And, and that doesn't give, make it an excuse. But I'm telling you, it happens all the time. Don't blame God for something that some other person who was evil did to you. But let me tell you, God can use those darkest times in your life to help other people through it. You just heard Joshua Staples' story, a horrific story. And maybe the reason why that happened, God didn't cause it, but that happened is so that Josh can help your friend through this. 
Uh, what do you do when your marriage is on the brink of collapse and a rift has formed between you and your spouse? I would just simply say this. It didn't happen overnight. Rifts don't happen overnight. You may have done a really dumb decision, but let me tell you, they started for a long time before that. You're, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to spend some time building up trust. And when you say you're going to do something, you do it. And you rebuild the relationship. And let me tell you, with God, all things are possible, but I'm not saying it's not going to be difficult. It is. You get other people around you who can hold you accountable for that. And then you stop screwing up, right? I mean, if whatever that is, you get people around you and you give them permission, you can ask this question of me all the time. In fact, text me, call me, and and you get accountability. That's huge, all right? How do you forgive someone who has significantly wronged you but refuses to ask for forgiveness? Again, what I would say is you take ownership for your part, and there's just going to be some people that are just mean. I've encountered some of those folks, and you have too. What you can do in that case is you take responsibility for your part, and again, as far as it depends upon you, what did it say? Live at peace with everyone. It's not going to depend solely on you. That's what that verse is saying. Great, great question. Uh, How can I apologize when sorry isn't enough? I constantly repeat my mistakes and hurt my wife over and over. How can I make it right? The thing I would encourage you to do is a couple of things. You spend more time in God's word, you're going to spend less time sinning. I promise you, it will be that simple. That is a way, but it's not the way. Another thing, you get around people who can hold you accountable. So let's say you're a guy and you struggle with pornography. I would encourage you to get involved in a Sexaholics Anonymous, an essay meeting, and you have guys who hold you accountable. Um, Another person says, what happens if it happened two or three more times prior to asking, I'm sorry, I was wrong, will you forgive me? All right, if, again, if somebody keeps on hurting the relationship, we talked about this last week, you, you can forgive them, they can forgive you, but some of the best things you can do is just say, you know what, we're just going to part ways for a season. That's okay. There's not any anger. I mean, do you want restoration, of course, in that relationship? Um, that's an option, or you get more people involved. Uh, That's what Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 and 16 says. That if it didn't work, you take two or three other people. And again, we've done that. We've done that in small groups here. Uh, We've done that uh, as a staff. I mean, mean, we all got stuff. We've all got junk. And this is a, 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 we always want to deal with it biblically. That's huge. All right. Uh, Let's go to another question. If you are married and seem to be the one to always apologize first, I know you are supposed to obey the Lord and apologize. But if you continue to always apologize first, doesn't that enable your spouse not to deal with the pride and humble themselves first? That's where you pray, 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 pray. Again, I've used this definition of submission. Submission is ducking so that when God swings, he hits your spouse. So you don't get even with them. You let God get even with them. Now, you don't tell them that. You don't say, okay, I'm not getting even with you because God's going to get you. Don't do that. It's not going to go well. But you pray and you get God involved in that situation. That's a great question. And I know how you feel. I've been in relationships where you, it seems like you're the one who's always asking forgiveness. And, and you feel like it may be 1% or 2%. And the other person is just like, really? But again, how are we supposed to, how does, you know, how, how does God deal with us in that aspect? He always forgives us. Last question. I've apologized, and they said they didn't want me in their life. We were best friends, and I miss her. 
sometimes they don't forgive you. And you know what? That is where your responsibility ends. You hear me? You, you, that's where your responsibility ends. And they say, and, and you say, you know what? As far as it lives, it depends upon me, live at peace with everyone. You've done everything that you can. The best thing you can do is to leave it in God's hands. Because there's going to be some problems, some relationships that unless God intervenes, there will not be any reconciliation or restoration. God's going to have to do that. And it's even impossible with God unless the other person's hearts change. God's not going to force that person to change. That person's going to have to change. They're going to have to take ownership with that. But your responsibility ends with, I am sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. 